Welcome to Diverse Dialogues from IELTS USA. Each episode of our podcast draws together a diverse range of voices, including educators, administrators, students, and everyone in between, to explore topics vital to international education. Listen as these different perspectives build compelling, multifaceted dialogues around today's most pressing higher education themes. One quick programming note, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the guests on the podcast. These views and opinions do not necessarily represent those of IELTS USA. In this episode, we'll be looking at institutional barriers international students are facing today, and we'll get a sense of the strategies and programs that can be implemented to remove those barriers. Let's meet our guests. My name is Megan mancarian Stem. I am the Director of International Enrollment at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. I have worked in international education for over 10 years now in a couple different capacities, but currently with my role, um, I do a lot. So the biggest thing, of course, is recruiting students and working with students through the application process. And while that sounds easy, there's, of course, a lot of layers that go into that, um, including traveling and working with counselors and parents and different organizations in our industry. And then, of course, looking at, you know, the future of our industry, what the next few years are going to look like, which is, of course, not easy in a normal time, definitely not easy in a pandemic, um, as our industry makes a lot of shifts and changes, and we really kind of rewrite a lot of what we're doing. Yeah, my name is David DiMaria, and I'm the Senior International Officer and Associate Vice Provost for International Education at UMBC, which is University of Maryland, Baltimore County. And in that role, I uh, oversee the Center for Global Engagement at UMBC, which includes services for international students and scholars. Uh, We support international partnerships. We have an intensive English program, as well as education abroad uh, programs for students and for faculty who wish to teach abroad. My name is Christina Cavage. I'm actually the Curriculum and Assessment Manager at the University of Central Florida, Global. So I actually um, build all the English language programming for our on-site international students, our domestic students who speak English as a second language, our international students who are also abroad. Our panel today is not just industry experts. We're also joined by a current student. Hi, my name is Soda Inman. I am an international student from Istanbul, Turkey. I lived there my whole life until I became a student at um, Savannah College of Art and Design. IELTS USA believes that every student should have equal access and equitable resources to take full advantage of their education. From reviewing admission policies to tracking student outcomes, higher education institutions are studying the impediments to success that may exist on campus or through institutional policy and are working hard to remove barriers and improve support systems. These efforts are also instrumental to the international student journey. English language proficiency, family income and educational attainment levels, community affluence and geographical location are interwoven with the challenges all students face, including potential biases related to race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, disability, perceived intellectual ability, past academic performance and special education status, among others. Taken together, these factors can contribute to some students having less access to educational opportunities than others. 
IELTS wants to know, from perspectives across campus, what strategies, programs, initiatives, or policies have helped to remove institutional barriers and open up new opportunities, and how organizations can develop the resources, social services, and academic support that international students need to succeed from the admissions process to graduation and beyond. As we get started, let's find out how our panel defines access to improved higher education for international students. Access is uh, one of the biggest topics right now. Of course, it's just part of why we're talking about it. And there's different layers to access. I think one of the biggest things, of course, is going to be finances. Education in the U.S. is not getting any cheaper. And I think as we can see in any data and models, the cost of higher education in the U.S. has gone up exponentially more than what inflation has. And so not only has this been difficult for U.S. citizens who have access to additional funds through the government, through filling out their FAFSA, international students don't have that luxury. So it's, it's up to institutions to be able to have models uh, for scholarships, potentially financial aid. But outside of that, funding is a big issue for access and families being able to afford um, a U.S. education and the living costs of being here. There's also other barriers to access as well, including being able to get a visa with visa policies changing over the last few years, especially in the Trump era. We have seen a decline in students being able to get a visa to even be able to come to the U.S. And that's incredibly frustrating when we've already vetted students and, you know, their ability to do well at our institutions. And then for somebody who doesn't necessarily work in higher education to say, we don't think you're qualified, uh, it's challenging and definitely an issue for students to be able to actually come and get their education in the U.S. Megan mentioned scholarships being available. IELTS USA has launched the Andrea Scott Scholarship for international graduate students. Scholarship recipients will share Andrea's inspiring commitment to international education, her passion for globalization, creative arts, and equal rights initiatives. Visit go.ieltsusa.org slash Andrea Scott International Graduate Scholarship to find out more. Now we'll get back on track with David. What is your definition of improved access to higher education for international students? In some ways, it's changing over time. And I think today's you know, understanding maybe or definition might be a little different than perhaps 10 or 20 years ago. And what I mean by that is there's some issues that remain that have always been there um, in terms of barriers to access. And this includes affordability. So that's that's always been an issue uh, for students considering exchange rates, you know, fluctuations, um, the cost of higher education in the United States, uh, and so on. The other issue, though, that's perhaps um, rising more to the surface would be thinking about credentials. Um, as we have increasing numbers of displaced students, um, I think the most you know some of the most recent examples might be. Uh, Syria might be um, thinking about Yemen, might be thinking about Afghanistan. And in some cases, students cannot provide access. They've, they've had some credentials in higher education, but when they arrive to the U.S., they can't provide um, those documents. And that can create a challenge uh, in pursuing further education uh, at U.S. institutions. And so that's, that's something that I think higher education institutions are having to grapple with a bit more. And that doesn't even get into the costs, the additional costs that go into uh, just applying just to be uh, able to meet the requirements that an institution may have for the application. Additionally, thinking about access to 
higher education without having to leave one's own country or to leave one's home. I think this is a challenge and it is being addressed by uh, an increase in what we would call transnational education. So perhaps a U.S. institution offers academic programs abroad outside of the U.S. so that students in uh, Nigeria, in Germany, whatever country it is, uh, are able to access U.S. higher education without having to leave their homes. And for many students who may have jobs, who may have family obligations, uh, who may have other reasons why they uh, cannot travel or who simply have a hard time getting a visa, uh, this can provide that access that they would need, particularly when there are programs offered in the U.S. that may not be offered at all in the student's home country. Let's talk about the support services that can impact student success. International students have access to the same support services as domestic students. However, there may be uh, barriers to that access, and they may be cultural. It may be that a student um, is not as uh, open to asking for assistance as perhaps um, you know, a student from one culture versus another. It may be culturally inappropriate to admit that uh, one needs uh, assistance. So that can be a challenge. The same thing is when you're arriving in another country, a different educational system, it operates very differently. And you may just be unfamiliar with the types of services that exist, whether that's a writing center or a tutoring center or whatever it is that, that the institution offers. I think most higher education institutions uh, offer, uh, say, basic academic support services uh, to students and the question is whether or not the international students are first aware of these and second, are they comfortable accessing these services? It's very difficult for an international student to come to the U.S. for many reasons. We're a very different culture uh, than anywhere else in the world. And I say that as somebody who has traveled over 60 countries as part of my job. I also lived in India for a little while. And so I know how hard it can be to be in another culture and to immediately have to figure out the cultural norms, uh, figure out how a classroom runs and the expectations in a classroom to potentially living with a roommate when the only person you've ever lived with before may have been your family members. And uh, so having support services on any campus is going to be incredibly important for a student to be successful. I am thankful that the university I work for has great support services, both academic and non-academic. So that way we are able to quickly identify when a student needs additional support and quickly come up with a support plan for that student. You're working with various offices on campus. I wish more universities would have plans like this. I know you know, some universities aren't set up with this a similar type of model, uh, but I think in order to have students, international students um, in particular on your campus and be successful, you have to have uh, support services that you're confident in. I think once a student is admitted, you know, we have such a responsibility on us, not only to develop that student um, for their profession, but we have to constantly do that ongoing orienting uh, for our students. We have to think about their cultural success, their linguistic success, um, and of course, their academic success. And so we need to build in lots of support resources. Um, you know, we're really fortunate, I think, at UCF to have a wealth of support services. 
you know, within UCF Global, students can have a walk-in or call-in appointment with either an academic advisor or an immigration advisor. Um, we offer lots of workshops that cover everything from like how to write an email to a professor rather than just, hey, can you tell me what I missed in class, um, to, you know, how to, how to properly cite materials and how to use the library. For graduate students, we need to think about their unique needs. And, you know, while they may meet thresholds linguistically and they may even have cultural knowledge, there are challenges when they go into a graduate program and what the expectations are and a lot to do with uh, pair work and peer work, right? Um, I think we also have to think about, you know, legal services. One thing that our, I think our immigration um, and support service office is excellent at is they bring in um, a local lawyer who is, an, who is a well-known immigration lawyer holding workshops from everything of, you know, employment in the USA to change of status. Um, a lot of question answer webinars on legal questions. We also have to think about those employment options and make more employment options available for our students, both on campus and, and off campus. And then, you know, obviously support services, you have to think about a student's mental health. Um, you know, I've ha I have students currently in program that have not seen family since well before COVID. And, you know, the risk of going home and not being able to come back to finish their degree is great. Um, and so, you know, what kind of support can we offer those students? One thing that I'm very proud of that we did at UCF was for Thanksgiving, knowing that our international students had nowhere to go. Um, we put out a call for all university faculty and staff to open their homes to our international students for Thanksgiving. And many of them did. And it's just little things like that that really helps to educate the whole student, right? We, we're here to be, you know, ambassadors, right? Um, and I think th events like that are extremely important. Christina, doing what you did over Thanksgiving is fantastic. But you started off by saying that institutions need to stay constant and consistent in their orienting. Let's bring Soda into the conversation. What barriers did you encounter as a student? The first barrier that I encountered was um, the feeling of loneliness, especially during the first quarter. This loneliness kept me from um, being able to truly focus on um, managing my time and just keeping me from being the best I could be. And the way I got through this was basically through establishing connections and like communicating uh, with people that were around me, whether that was um, people in my class or people in my dorm room and stuff like that. But other than that, especially um, the SCAD orientation we had for international students really helped me get through the first few days um, and helped put my mind at ease. Um, since it started like two days earlier than the usual orientation, it gave me time to be like, yes, this is going to be fine. I have people that are like me with me here and we're just all in this together, kind of like that. After the initial orientation, what types of support have you had on campus? 
To be perfectly honest, I wasn't exactly able to attend many of the um, support being offered. The most I've done was um, whenever I had a question, I would attend like the extra help sessions professors provided. And the thing with um, campus provided support is that um, you need to have a lot of time to be able to search for them and also attend them. And they're not exactly in your face either. Sometimes they may be just, you know, from just one email notification um, that you might have missed because you also get so many other email notifications all day. And while dealing with other stuff, such as getting used to your surroundings, just being able to do homework and stuff like that, um, you it's very hard to be able to rely on those. Soda brings up some good points. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to the panel about unnecessary barriers that are being removed and what further work needs to be done. IELTS is the only English language test that contains a live face-to-face -face speaking test with a trained examiner. This provides a realistic assessment of a test taker's ability to communicate in situations that reflect real life. Find out more at IELTS.org USA. Welcome back to Diverse Dialogues from IELTS USA. Today's panel is discussing barriers international students face today. Megan, let's start with you. What are some unnecessary barriers to access you see in your role? So that's one of the first things when I took this role at Creighton that I looked at was it starting with the application process. What barriers were we setting up that were truly unnecessary? Um, it didn't really give us additional information about a student that we had to have in order to make a uh, decision if they would be academically qualified and be successful on campus. So for example, one of the things that I looked at was our testing policies, specifically the SAT and ACT. And had discussions to start saying that we may need to consider being test optional. A test score doesn't show us very much to begin with. Uh, on top of the four, three years of academic um, academics that we already get from students' transcripts. Additionally, for international students, there are before the pandemic, there were so many countries where it was already incredibly difficult to take the SAT or ACT. Students were flying to other countries to be able to take it. Uh, tests were being canceled all of the time. There were a lot of issues with counselors and testing centers even getting the materials. And so that was one of the big initiatives that I took on initially. David? So something I talk about a lot is process mapping or journey mapping. So thinking about if there's, whether it's the application process, the admissions process, can you map out all the steps, all the delays, all the hurdles that the student has to jump through, um, and then identify which of those are necessary, which ones can be eliminated, because they do create uh, barriers to access. And what I find, so a lot of colleagues, they understand what they do in their job at their desk. They don't understand the entire, what I would call the value stream um, of how perhaps once the application leaves their desk and goes to the next office, or the next uh, staff member, what happens there and what are the interactions and interdependencies of these? So, you know, if something that I do, is it slowing down the, the process later, later on, or is it creating a bottleneck or a black hole that students, you know, fall into and can't get out of? The same is true for current students. So thinking about how they access the services on campus, 
um, are they presented in a way that students with limited English proficiency are able to not just be aware, but to be able to uh, really, um, again, obtain the, the services that they need. And it's not just uh, marginalized to uh, perhaps a specific intensive English program, but it should be a, a university-wide approach that all offices are accessible uh, to students wherever they are uh, in terms of w- when they enter the institution and as they continue on their academic career journeys. I think, you know, we're always trying to, um, you know, it, we, we see a gap somewhere and, you know, the world of academia moves a little slower than the rest of the world. So you see that gap and it may take a year or two years to, to really build something um, to fill that gap. So, you know, first generation um, domestic students have a lot of services available to them, a lot of support systems. And while some of our international students take advantage of that, we don't really have special programming, at least at UCF, for just just focused on our international students who are first generation college students. We did recently write um, internal funding proposal for something called La Casa. It's Latinos y Amigos Center for Advancement and Student Achievement. And this population is in the forefront of of this center. So really providing a one-stop shop for all our, our linguistically and culturally diverse students that we can have a wealth of resources for them in one location. So, you know, UCF, like many universities in the United States, a very big university, easy to get lost, easy not, you know, to to struggle as to where your resources are. So this whole concept of, you know, the one-stop shop, you know, I've been in the field for 30 years and we had this concept in the 90s and now it seems to come back again. Um, but really providing a place, a central place uh, for students to be able to get all the resources they need, or at least access to those resources. Now, Soda, what kind of barriers are you seeing? I think one of the barriers is, uh, of course, language. I know that not every student has the same level of um, English proficiency, and that might keep them from being able to uh, fully be involved in their learning and also um, keeping them from being able to reach up for help. Um, Other than that, some of the barriers uh, international students face come from um, just not being talked about as much. For example, for like job opportunities, um, international students are kind of um, the secondary talking point more than just a together kind of explanation, uh, which sometimes leads to feelings of isolation. Um, Other than that, um, also, if you don't exactly show a good level of English proficiency. Sometimes um, people can assume that you have a lower intellectual capacity as well, which does not help you at all and can negatively affect you. Do you feel like you've been able to take advantage of any of the resources or support services for international students on your campus? I was able to um, attend some of the um, programs for international students um, before the quarter actually started. For example, I attended uh, some of the meetings giving uh, information about um, what to do as an international student, uh, what is required and 
even some activity related things such as um, the the international student orientation and its activities I was able to attend one of them after that I just didn't really have the time nor was aware of a lot of things going on after hearing this conversation what do the decision makers need to do to improve access and help remove these institutional barriers so thinking about what the key decision makers um, could do or could change to enhance the overall experience of international students. Uh, first of all, I think we really need to look at access again. Okay, are we are we admitting um, students based on what how successful we know they're going to be or or the contribution they're going to be making to the university not just academically that contribution but diversity as well that's really really important i'm our world is getting smaller and smaller and smaller right and COVID has proved that so we have to look at the access these students have and do they have you know the access that they that we really need them to have uh, to programming. But then we also have to think about once they're on campus, what are we doing to educate our domestic students on the strengths that our international students bring to the table? While most universities, you know, have International Education Week and our international students may, you know, serve on panels or, um, you know, give workshops and presentations during those weeks. What, you know, are we really tapping into the resource, the great resource we have during that week? Um, and not just during that week, but throughout the year. So what are some other programmings that we can do not only to support our international students, but to really build on the, the wealth that they bring into our universities. That, that, I think, would be the challenge I would lay in the decision makers' hands. If I could talk to the powers that be in the industry, I think what I would say is don't forget that international enrollment um, in international education is an incredibly important part of any campus for uh, really understanding diversity and inclusion, and supporting the world as we continue to move more into a global society. Students both overseas and in the U.S. are not going to learn the skills that they need in order to be successful in any industry now if they don't have access to international education. So while we're not always seen as a priority at many institutions, um, we need to continue to be seen as a very important part of every institution. Um, firstly, I would say that for... Um especially language-related barriers. If there are students struggling that are um, in, from one of those countries where not a lot of other students come from, maybe peer-related um, note-taking might help or maybe just uh, having a bit of like tr translators that have taken that class, just offering extra support. Um, other than that, I would say... Um, making like a kind of club or club-ish activities that would um, strengthen like a sense of community between international students no matter where they come from. Um, having domestic friends uh, help in 
making you like feel accustomed and making you um, just be more connected to people around you, but also having international students as friends um, help you in being like you feel understood more. And finally, to our panel, what constitutes holistic student success? Holistic student success. Wow, that's kind of a big question. So I think it's a combination of things and it really depends on the student as well. I think for me, especially working with international students, what I find for these students, what I think about, have they been successful here or not? Um, Are they happy? Are they getting the education that they want and thought that they were going to get? Have they taken advantage of and found support in different services that are offered, such as career uh, counseling, internships, um, understanding the visa uh, policies about working once you graduate, to getting involved in clubs and organizations or Greek life, if that's what they want to do? And are they graduating as somebody who feels like they've been successful here and they've enjoyed their time here? I think to me, all of those pieces are really important when looking at if a student has been, you know, holistically successful on campus. It's not just about having a perfect GPA. You don't have to have a perfect GPA to go get your dream job. Uh, you just have to use the tools that you've learned both in the classroom and outside of the classroom and learn to apply those to your life in order to, you know, move into the field that you want to move into. Yeah. So I think there, there are a number of metrics and, What we did at UMBC is we went through a two-year process that um, allowed us to do some, let's say, self-reflection, what I would call internationalization more broadly. And there was a specific group that just looked at the um, recruitment and retention and success of international students. And that group looked at a number of uh, metrics or indicators, which included uh, retention rates, graduation rates, and you know what were maybe ways that we could try to move the needle in a positive way that students would retain at higher rates and graduate on time and, and all of that. And, and we've made progress in that area. We also uh, have uh, looked at things like uh, the career placement. Are they finding the practical training appointments um, within a timely manner after graduation, or are students spending extended you know, periods of time, months looking for these? Are they able to access opportunities locally, or do they have to go to another region of the United States to access? And you know, we're happy to say that almost 80% uh, of our students are able to find these uh, experiences locally if they so choose. We look at, are they, for the undergraduates, are they going on to graduate schools, if that's their goal? Uh, are they getting admitted to the institutions that they want to get admitted to? Um, you know, GPA. So all the academic factors, also the cultural um, and maybe the sociocultural aspects of do they feel that they belong at the institution? Are they making friends? Do they understand locally? Do they feel welcome? And so what we've done these past two years is in addition to uh, really kind of mining the data that exists um, around you know, student records. And so we also had surveys, international students, online surveys that they could complete. We did focus group conversations. We've met with leaders of student organizations to try to get a sense of um, you know, what the, the experiences would be from the student's perspective, what we could do to enhance that experience as well. So I measure holistic student success as you know, going back to the concept of the 
whole student, the whole person. So not just are they academically successful, but are they having good experiences outside the classroom as well? Are they prepared and do they have the confidence that they need to be successful in their career later on? So it's again, it's about educating the whole student, not just the book education, right? But the cultural education, the academic education, the just the whole student. And I think that's how we how we measure success. It's not the degree that they're holding. It's not the transcript they're holding with that GPA. It's do they have the confidence? Um, have we have we turned them into a professional right when they leave our walls? Thank you for listening to Diverse Dialogues from IELTS USA. Find out more at IELTS.org slash USA. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. Darren Sutherland, Executive Producer. Jeremy Powell, Creative Director. Jacob Sutherland, Director. Producers Jason Gentarola and Matt Golden. And Kezia May, Copywriter. All rights reserved.